Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. There was a, a young pastor. He had been uh, an associate pastor of an older seasoned pastor for uh, about six months, he, he was new to the church, he was fresh out of seminary, um, he, he hadn't preached a lot, and uh, the, uh, the pastor, uh, the, he preached about once a month, and, and uh, it was not his turn to preach, and the pastor's wife called him early that Sunday morning and said, hey, uh, uh, the pastor has laryngitis, and uh, so you're going to you're gonna have to be you know, the, the preacher this morning. And so this young man, you know, hadn't even thought of the possibility of that, something like that happening, and he had no sermon ready, and he just completely panicked. And so uh, he just prayed and, and scrambled through some of his notes he had taken from some of his professors and tried to pull something together and uh, just didn't feel good about, about it. But, uh, you know, he, he had what he had, his two fish and five pieces of bread. And, and so he, he showed up that morning, and uh, he you know, when the singing was over and it was time for him to preach, it was in one of these old church buildings, you know, uh, back in the day. And, and uh, he's, he's trying to think of, of how to, you know, kind of open this thing because he's feeling inadequate and he feels like he needs to just confess that to the congregation. And he's just kind of looking around and he looks up and, and, you know, these stained glass windows, he sees this window that's missing and there's a piece of cardboard stuck in the, in the opening. And he said, you know, I just want to confess to you guys this morning that, you know, the pastor is such a great man of God and such a great preacher, and I'm barely out of seminary. I only preached a few times. And he said, I, he said, I, I, I feel like that piece of cardboard right there. He said, I don't even feel like I'm a real window pane. I just feel like I'm a, a piece of cardboard right there. And so uh, I'm going to try to fill in as best I can. And so, you know, he starts preaching, and he's very tentative, and he doesn't get off to a great start. But, you know, the congregation's trying to encourage him, and they're starting to say amen and yes, you know. And, and uh, when he would make a, a, a decent point, you know, somebody would clap. And, you know, as he, he's like, he starts feeling better, you know, and he starts getting a little more bold. And he starts preaching, you know, and he really gets into this. And, and they're still trying to encourage him, and... and uh, you know, he only had about 10 minutes worth of sermon, and he ends up preaching almost an hour. And by the time he's done, you know, the congregation is just exhausted. And, uh, and so he goes, you know, the, traditionally, we don't do that here because there's too many doors for one thing, and I, I really don't want to hear how I did right after my sermon anyway. But, you know, he went to the back door, and he's shaking hands with people as they're parading past, and this little lady in her 90s walked past him, and she said, Son, she said, I just want to tell you that you're not a piece of cardboard. You're a real pain. <laughs> so, having said that, Um, I, I just, you know, there, there's, a, there's a couple of things that this applies to. First of all, we've had some really long services in the last few Sundays. Last Sunday we had, we introduced Seth, and then we had our missionary speak, and then Dennis preached for an hour. No, he didn't. But, um, uh, talk, no, anyway, I'm not going there. 
I love Dennis. He's not here to tease this morning, so I won't say it. But um, I was going to say he, too, is a real pain. But, no, he's, he's the Russian concussion. We're going to leave it at that. But, you know, we, we've gone, you know, significantly past uh, 1130, and we're really going to try to dial it back and not do that. So I just want you to know that. That's not our intention, just, you know, to just keep doing longer and longer services as we go. You know, by midsummer, we're, we're at 12 o'clock, and, you know, by the fall, we're at 1230. That's not what's going to happen. So I uh, don't, don't want you to worry about that. Um, okay. Uh, thanks, Mike, from the back. <laughs> Secondly, uh, I, I just want to say to you this morning that uh, in sermon prep, uh, someone mentioned that these sermons are starting to sort of sound the same, a little bit the same, and uh, a lot the same maybe, uh, to which I replied good, because... The Lord is in the process of moving this congregation in their worldview from a worldview of do-it-yourself churchianity where you're responsible for sin management, you're responsible to improve your behavior, you're responsible to be disciplined enough to be like Christ, to a mindset of, look, um, I'm realizing now that the whole WWJD movement was a farce. We can't do what Jesus did he has to do what he does in us and through us. And so it's not about imitation. It's about transformation. It's about letting Jesus be Jesus in our lives. And how we move from not under, even understanding the concept of that to actually living that out. And so those, you know, these sermons uh, by design are overlapping. And we move a little bit forward but we also cover a little bit of what we've already covered. And so Dennis and I have, have talked about it. We agree that that's important because you do learn by repetition. You know, and it says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And mind renewal takes a, takes a while. So I just want to say that, you know, I, 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 uh, I don't want to be a pain. And Dennis and I don't want to be a pain. And, and, you know, it's like, yeah, you said that last week. You said that three weeks in a row. Well, good. Are you getting it? Have you seen the... Um, the AT&T commercial <laughs> where the, uh, what's her name, um, Lily, yeah, she's got the, uh, the, the dry erase board with the basketball court on it, and she's like, okay, so new people get the, the, uh, the, the discount, and she draws a circle around these little you know, people and put points down towards the court, and existing customers get the discount, and, she draw, and she's like, everybody gets the discount. And so she says, any questions? And the, the girl sitting there says, uh, uh, I understand what you're saying, but why did you use a permanent marker? And she said, so you'll remember it. <laughs> and so that's why we're repeating ourselves, so you'll remember it. Because we really do want to see transformation happen, not just like, oh, that's a great idea, and we never mention it again. And the final thing I'll say is that we... We need to be constantly moving in the direction of true repentance as God continues to reveal things in our lives that need to change, that need to die, that need to fall away. And so repentance always means turning from something wrong and turning towards Jesus. And so this morning we're going to be talking about, uh, a lot about that. I want to read the scripture in uh, Luke chapter 
9, verse 23 and 24, and I want to I set the context for this. So you can leave that up. That's okay. But look at me, not, not the screen at this point. When Jesus called the disciples, he said nothing about death. He said, if you will follow me, if you'll leave your nets, talking to Peter, James, John, and Andrew, if you'll leave your nets and follow me, you won't be catching fish, you'll be catching men. And of course, they totally understood that, right? <laughs> I'm sure they kind of looked at each other and like, you know, but he, he, he was serious and they, they understood they understood that Jesus was calling them to something big. They also had come to the place where they each one believed that he was the Messiah. This is the person, this is the Savior, this is the King, this is the Lord, this is the one who is going to come to save Israel. How many of you have seen The Chosen? Put your hands up pretty high. If you haven't watched The Chosen, you're cheating yourself. You've got to see that. It's, there's an app for it. You can just look it up on the App Store. I think it may be if you have iPhones or whatever. If you don't, buy the, 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 the DVDs. You know, it's just one, one DVD right, right now, and it's like 20 bucks. But it's the best thing you can do for yourself because the gospel stories come alive. And you'll, you'll see a, a, a Jesus who's the best Jesus that's ever been on film. I guarantee it. This guy's believable, and you just fall in love with him. But the second thing you see is what a bunch of screw-ups the disciples were. They didn't understand Jack when they started. I mean, honestly, I think that's why he didn't say a lot about, about dying at, at the beginning. I don't think they would have followed him. But he comes to these guys, and they're all in, they're, every one of their lives are messes. They're just messes. I just, you know, I scratch my head and say, Jesus, why did you call those knuckleheads? Like, what were you thinking? And he's like, why did I call you? I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I got it. It's so easy to look at someone else and say, why would Jesus call them? And they're saying the same thing back at us, you know. But I just love how real the disciples look in that, in that thing. I'm telling you, that they, first of all, Filled with self-importance. The Messiah has called me to be his disciple. And, uh, and then they just screw up all the time. Peter is so full of self-importance. He pulls Jesus aside at one point and says, I want you to make me the leader of this bunch when you're not here. And he said, I'm not going to do that, Peter. He said, you, he said, well, I have leadership gifting. He said, you obviously do. At least a calling to leadership. He said, and you will lead at some point, but not yet. And he said, why not? He said, because I'm still here. He said, but what, what about when you're not here? Like when you go up in the mountains and pray. and It's just utter chaos. And he said, well, you just have to live with that right now. So he's not going to make Peter a leader. James and John want to call fire down from heaven to kill some Samaritans that, that cursed them and threw, threw rocks at them at a certain point. And they're, they're just ready to call fire down from heaven. And Jesus says, what is wrong with you? You know, They hate Samaritans. And Jesus takes them right through Samaria and spends days there. He calls a tax collector that had been persecuting them. And Peter's not super happy about that. 
they're just filled with all kinds of self-hate, I mean, self-importance. Uh, they're full of, of, uh, of uh, co- competition. And when the sons of Zebedee get affirmed by Jesus, it makes Peter and Andrew extremely jealous. They're full of jealousy. They're, they're, they're just, and they're constantly, Peter is always looking around at the crowd saying, man, we're getting somewhere now. We're, we're getting bigger crowds. Jesus is getting more popular. Jesus, when are you going to cash in on this? And, and, and James, or, yeah, James and John are just, they can't wait until he pulls out the sword and says, let's go after Rome. Let's kill these clowns that are oppressing us. They're just real people with real stuff and real problems. And when he calls them, he says, follow me. And they start following him. And every time they, they do something, it's like totally against the grain of the kingdom. Every time they say something, it seems like it's totally against the grain of what the king has come to do. The king did not come to conquer Rome. He came to conquer sin. He didn't come to kill the Gentiles. He came to save the Gentiles. He didn't come to destroy the Samaritans. He came to redeem them. And and, and they just didn't get it. When we come to Christ, like that young man that was preaching that morning, we just don't get it. We don't understand. We hardly understand anything, especially how deeply affected by sin and self we are. And I'll tell you, it, it doesn't just go away. That stuff just doesn't go away. God, God has to show us our flesh. He has to let us struggle and stumble and, and, and uh, fall on our faces and, and feel the effects of sin and self-will and self-importance and, and selfishness and self-centeredness. And he has to, to let us, you know, the Holy Spirit's on board and the Holy Spirit's grievile that and the Holy Spirit's convicting us of that and we just keep going and, and like the disciples, we just keep falling on our faces. And that's what's been happening. You know, Luke puts this story of, 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 this, of this scripture really early in the gospel of Luke, but it's still late in time in terms of the gospel story. Matthew and, and uh, John and, uh, and, and Mark put this story much later in the story. But Luke is really moving quite quickly towards the, the cross. But then he, uses, he condenses a lot of stuff. Or he doesn't condense. He, he fills out a lot of stuff from, from chapter 9 on through uh, the, the cross, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. But the disciples have been with Jesus long enough to get the fact that they don't understand a lot. And, um, and then they come to, Jesus takes them all the way to the northernmost part of their journey away from Jerusalem, to Caesarea Philippi, which is basically an area of Gentiles. And there's actually a cave there, and it's called something about death, like it's the, the, the mouth of death or something like that. And they're probably, and there are all these gods around this cave. And, and he's standing there in the midst of these, these earthly gods and the mouth of this cave that, that goes down to Hades, apparently. I mean, that's what they believed or whatever. And he says, hey, guys, who do people say that I am? And they... I mean, they've heard it. They, they've heard people whisper in the crowds. They've heard the Pharisees speculate. 
Maybe this is Elijah that's finally come. You know, the Elijah that was supposed to come before the great and terrible day of the Lord in Malachi. Maybe, maybe this is John the Baptist that's been resurrected from the dead after Herod cut his head off. Maybe this is one of the prophets of old. Maybe this is, you know, who knows which one of the prophets that's been raised up to come back and, and get Israel ready for whatever's happening next. And then he says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. He had like a light bulb come on. Like I think he finally, he's standing there and he's listening to this and I think the Holy Spirit is suddenly engaging his heart, and he has this aha moment. And I think it was more like, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. I think it was almost like that, like almost like a surprise, because based on what Jesus said next, he said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven has revealed that to you. You're right. He didn't say you're right. What he says next is very disturbing. <laughs> very disturbing. He said, The Son of Man will suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law. Rejected by the leaders of Israel, they're saying? And he must be killed. And on the third day rise again. I don't think they heard on the third day rise again. I think they heard he's going to be killed by the leaders. And I really think that the boys said this, that's not what we were taught in synagogue. That's not what we were taught about the Messiah. What are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean you're going to be killed? You're supposed to take over Rome. You're supposed to subdue our enemies. You're supposed to rule over the world. Israel is supposed to be the great nation again. We're supposed to, it's supposed to be like when Solomon was here, remember? Didn't you remember your Sunday school teacher telling you this stuff? And, of course, Jesus is very flattered by all that. And uh, it doesn't, Luke is very kind not to repeat what Jesus says to Peter at that point. But basically it goes something like, get behind me, Satan. You're talking like a man and not God. You got it right when you said I was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You got it wrong when you rebuked me for saying that I was going to be killed by the, the, uh, the leaders of Israel. And he says, um, let me explain this to you. I'm going to the cross. And you're my disciples. <laughs> if anyone would be my disciple and come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. I don't think they were expecting him to say that. It's like, wait a minute, Jesus, when you said, you know, back in the day, like three years ago, when you said, follow me, you said, fishers of men, you said nothing about a cross, you said nothing about death. And Jesus says, disciples go where their master goes, where their rabbi goes. You know, uh, Mark Kelly taught us that, that, you know, you follow in the dust of your rabbi if you're a disciple. You're breathing the dust of your, because you're going the same way, and you're going to be just like the, 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 your, your rabbi, and whatever fate the rabbi has, that's your fate. And Jesus said, that's right. If you would be my disciple, 
I'm going to a cross. I'm going to the cross. And if you're going to follow me, you're going you're gonna to also go to the cross. I don't, think they, I don't think they were super, super excited to hear that news. But you know what? It says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Modern Christianity is very weak on calling people to deny self, to repent, to change their life, to deny their flesh. We just don't do that much. It's kind of out of vogue to talk about repentance. You guys, if we're not living in repentance daily, then we're not living, we're not, we're not a disciple. We may be a believer, but we're not a disciple. The great uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great uh, German theologian who lived during the days of Hitler and ultimately was imprisoned because he was involved in trying to, uh, uh, an assassination plot to rid the world of Hitler. And he died in prison. In fact, he was hanged at a certain point. He wrote many books. One of the books that he wrote was called The Cost of Discipleship. And he talks about cheap grace. He says, grace is free, but it's not cheap. And he says this. He says, Jesus, when he called us, he says, when, a man, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Jesus calls a person to follow him, he bids him come and die. Jesus was heading to a real cross. What he's talking about for us, it says this. Let me just read it again. He must deny himself and take up his cross daily, daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever, wants, whoever loses his life for me will save it. Does this mean we need to commit suicide? You remember when Jesus talked to uh, the crowd about the, he, he had just fed the 5,000 and then he booked across the lake and they went around and met him and they tried to make him king. And then he starts talking about, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part in me. This is one of those kinds of things that everybody left except the 12, and he said, do you want, to, you want to leave me too? And they're like, and Peter, you know, one of his better moments, he didn't have many, but one of his better moments, he said, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. What I just read to you is it sounds like death. He's calling us to die to ourselves and to take up our cross daily. But death always comes before life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full, but you have to go through the cross to get there. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. Our flesh doesn't like to hear that. Thanks for saying yes, but it really doesn't make sense to a human being in our natural person. We have to go through the cross in fact, we've been through the cross, but we have to own it. We have to appropriate it. We have to receive it. We have to embrace it. And we have to go through it to get to the other side, which is life. Self and the self-life is the enemy that blocks us from the reality of life with and in Christ. 
where he lives his awesome, powerful, loving life through us. In his book, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer talks about the veil in the temple that separated God from man has been torn in two. So the way into the Holy of Holies is open to us. But there's another veil. It's the veil of the self-life. And he calls it the opaque veil that covers our hearts. And it's, it's the under, unsurrendered, undying self, self-life that has to be torn as well. And he said, we need to pray that God will enable us to get rid of that so that we can enter into intimacy with him. Because self blocks that. The disciples had to learn that the hard way. They, they were just stumbling over themselves doing stupid things because they were trying to be important and they were trying to, be, they were trying to save their lives and they were trying to you know, make Jesus be, be the deliverer of Israel from the Romans and all those things that they wanted and that their flesh wanted and that their egos wanted. And Jesus said, that has to die. You can't take that into the kingdom. And you know, we sooner or later in our lives as we as we, uh, as we continue on in this life, we, we all have our sins that we struggle with. Each one of us have sins that we struggle with. You know what your sin is. Terry Waddle says that we don't just sin, you know, like, you know, just pick a sin and, and, and I'll use that. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll just do that. We, we, have, we sin for two reasons. First of all, we sin because it's pleasurable for the moment. Uh, someone said, sin will always take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. So that, you know, that, that happens with, with that. But we also sin for another reason. We sin because we have emotional pain. We do. There's a void in our life. There's a hole in our hearts. There's, there's a wound that just can't be healed. Our, our, our father rejected us. Our mother didn't nurture us. Our, we, we, we were abandoned. We were, we, we were not treated well. We, uh, we, didn't, we didn't get the nurture we needed. We didn't get the love we needed. We didn't get whatever we needed. And when we got things that we didn't need, like inappropriate touching, uh, we got abandoned by a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Uh, you know, we, we, we married a spouse that was abusive. We... We did something, and, and so, there, or we're just flat out bored with life. Life is just not what we want it to be. And so we hurt, and we, we have emotional pain. We've all experienced it. And so what we do is we have our own brand of sin that will medicate that emotional pain for us. At least it feels like it will. It's like me taking Tylenol when I have a headache. <laughs> It's supposed to fix the head. I've never had a headache go away by taking Tylenol. You know, other things, yeah, but anyway, let's just call sin Tylenol for now. But here's the deal. We don't just sin. We actually, like, like he, uh, Terry Warrell says this. He says, it's not like bingo where you roll the wheel and whatever falls out, that's the sin that you commit. You know, B-19, you know, that's, no. 
Our particular brand is G7. And so we open the basket and we dig through until we find G7, and that's the one that we use to fill the void in our hearts. So what, what, what is your hole filler? What is your need meter? What is, what is your medication that tends to work best for you? Is it playing video games? Is it shopping? Is it eating? Is it... Um, um, I mean, guys, I, I, I could just go on for days. There, there are things that don't even seem sinful that can be sinful if we overindulge them to medicate pain. We all have them. We all have our pain medicators. We all have our, our particular sins that do it for us or stop the pain or at least medicate the pain for the moment. But remember, it takes us further than we want to go, costs us, uh, or makes, takes us keeps us longer than we want to say, costs us more than we want to pay. It's not okay. And Jesus came to set us free from that. And so discipleship involves dying to self. It, it, it involves giving that stuff up. And you know, sooner or later we discover, first of all, that self cannot and will not follow Christ. It just won't do it. Peter stood up and said, I will never leave you. These other clowns may desert you, but I will stay with you to the end. And as soon as the heat got turned up, he was the first one to take off, denying the Lord three times before the, before the sun came up. A disciple is a person who is free from the old self, free to live a new life through the Spirit of Christ. But how do we get there? How do we deny self? We talked about, two weeks ago when I preached, we talked about the ways not to do it. Just suppressing the flesh, uh, trying to do more Bible studies, go to more meetings, trying to, you know, let's just go live in a monastery. Let's just do, you know, there's all kinds of ways not to do this. There's really only one way to deal with this. And that is to cry out to God and say, Jesus, <laughs> I need to go to the cross. I, I, I need what the cross has done for me to do its work in me and to me. So discipleship involves denying self. Did I already put that? We already put that first one up there? Okay. Okay. Second of all, it involves the cross. It involves the cross. I want to read a quote from the chapter. <laughs> I love this. Christians need to understand that bearing the cross does not refer to tri the trials of this life, <laughs> which we are prone to call crosses, but to daily give up life, die to self, which marks our lives as much as it did the Lord Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, and the, the reason was for us, to save us. We often confuse... Uh, let, me, let me go down, let's see. It would be best if we would lose sight of our cross and take up his cross. And that's really what we're talking about. His cross becomes our cross. His death becomes our death. His grave is our grave. His resurrection is our re resurrection. His risen life is our newness of life. So taking up our cross does not mean the stoic bearing of some heavy burden or hardship or illness or distasteful situation or relationship. Does that make sense? 
We think, oh, that's my cross I have to bear. I got to put up with that woman that thou gavest me. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not your cross. The cross is what puts our flesh to death. It's dying to self-will. It's living, as Dennis talked about, when we get to that intersection and Jesus gets there too, we yield to him. Not my will, but thy will be done. We get in his car, go his way. That's what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his death. He said, Father, I don't want to do this. If there's a plan B, I want to go that way. And the Father said, Son, there's no plan B. You have to go to the cross. If we're going to redeem these people... You have to go to the cross. And if we're ever going to live the way Christ wants us to, and that is to allow him to live his life through us, yielding to his will, his sovereignty, him, we have to go to the cross. We have to die. We have to, to put our desires, our wants, our opinions, our prejudices, our, 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 we have to put that on the cross. Paul said it this way, put off the old self with all its, its evil desires and greed and lust and put on the new self, put on Christ. Let him rule, yield to him. So discipleship involves dying to what we want and allowing Jesus to have what he wants. You know, that was his ultimate destination, the cross, and he makes it clear that in every gospel account, that that is the destination of every follower who would become a disciple. And so, I just hope, I, I, I hope I'm speaking to, to brothers and sisters who want to be a disciple, who want to walk in repentance, who want to say, yes, I am poor in spirit, who grieve over your sin, who say, I want your righteousness, Lord, I want your, well, your will, your way, uh, and I am sick of sin and self. And I am hungry for freedom and victory and real righteousness. You know, the thing I love about how the Lord has set this up is that in the cross, he did two things. He died for us. Hallelujah. That comes first. Imputed righteousness. We learn at the end of, of, of Romans 4 and the beginning of Romans 5 that Christ death for us puts us into a place of grace before God and we are reconciled to God he makes us righteous in in position and then he moves us along by his holy spirit to the place of righteousness in possession he put he puts us he he imputes righteousness to us through his death on the cross his sacrifice so that then we will embrace our death with him so that righteous become, righteousness goes from imputed to imparted. So position to possession, imputed to imparted. We're moving toward real righteousness. Righteousness that, that is experiential reality for us. And it, and it can happen. The, the history of the church is is full of people who have moved from position to possession, from imputed to imparted righteousness. Hebrews 10.14, I love this. I, I say it almost every time I preach. 
For by one sacrifice he has perfected forever, imputed righteousness, those who are being made holy, imparted righteousness. Position to possession. Scriptural, the scriptural facts of deliverance in the cross is identification with Christ in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. Hunger should lead to the cross, should lead to freedom. And you're saying how? Good question. How does this happen? So the point number three, true discipleship involves embracing the truth of our co-crucifixion with Christ. We're never going to get anywhere if we just think about that as some great theological idea. I died with Christ. Okay, I died with Christ. I died. Yeah, that's great. Let's go to lunch. I died with Christ. Okay. But Lord, I just sinned again. I died with Christ, whatever that means. It's kind of ethereal, kind of a, you know. When Paul said to the Galatians who were really messing up, who were trying to go back and be righteous in their own flesh, in their own strength, through some ritual they were doing. He said, guys, what are you doing? He said, you've got to understand your position in him. What has happened to you in Christ? And then he says it very clearly in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been, that's past tense, crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives through me. He lives his life in and through me. And I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Guys, that is faith is the hand that lays hold of the prize. Faith is not just some intellectual assent to a truth. It's like, oh, yeah, Christ died for me. I die, for, I die with Christ. That's great. No, it's, you know, so I'm saved, I'm going to go, ahead, go to heaven because I believe that. Yeah, oh, that's all good and great and whatever. But guys, if, if, if we desire freedom, we're either going to desire to hug the cross or we're going to desire to hug our chains. Does that make sense? I'm sick to death of hugging my chains. In fact, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to hug the cross I want to hug Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you for delivering me from my chains. I am no longer going to live as a slave to sin because I don't have to. Because like Paul, I've been crucified to Christ. I've been crucified to self. I've been crucified to sin. I've been crucified to this world. I've been crucified. And therefore, I'm going to embrace, I'm going to turn from embracing my chains, hugging my chains, because it, repentance looks like, I don't want this anymore. I want you, Jesus. I want to embrace everything that that statement means right there. That I have been crucified with you. That I died to sin. That I, I no longer have to be a slave to sin, to the law, to the world. I am free. I am emancipated. And Holy Spirit, as I, as I embrace that truth, and put, please put the next point up. Faith in our death to sin and self. As I embrace my co-crucifixion and my death to sin and self, that could be just one point, but I made it two just for emphasis. 
As I do that, I say, Holy Spirit, make this real in my life as an experiential reality by any means at any cost. If you're not ready to say that, that's okay. Just move there, okay? If you're not quite ready to say, God, make me uh, uh, your disciple at, by, by any means and at any cost, by any road at any cost, if you're not ready to quite say that yet, then God will give you grace. But you need to be moving in that direction. You need to be praying, God, make me willing to be willing to want righteousness and freedom and victory and, and life in you with intimacy with you, in intimacy with you, by any means at any cost. And if you're not quite ready to say that, you haven't quite gotten sick enough of self and sin yet. And I pray that God will bring you to that place of brokenness and sick to death of sin and self so that you will want that by any means and at any cost. I, I, don't mean to be, uh, I, I don't mean to be harsh today, but guys, this is where I'm going. And this is where I want to take you because this is the only way that we're ever going to get outside these four walls and take the kingdom of God into this world. God didn't save us to sing songs and hear sermons. I mean, this is important. It's important. Corporate worship is important. Corporate prayer is important. Preaching the word is important. But this is halftime. That's the game. And so we need to be moving into engaging the world and telling the world about Jesus and calling people to, to a relationship to Jesus and, and, and explaining what repentance really means and, and showing people that there's a better way to live. We will be ready to deny self, take up our cross, and, and execute self when self becomes intolerable to us. That's what, that's what Jesus means about unless you hate your life in this world, yeah, you can't be my disciple. He doesn't want us to hate ourselves or our lives. But we, he, you know, we, we, we got to come to the place where we're just sick of living the way we've been living, and we want to move on with him. I love, I love the fact it says daily. Guys, it's a daily process. This is a minute-by-minute -minute relationship with Jesus. Man, I want to I live like Paul, who, who gloried in the cross, who wanted to embrace it. He said, he said, man, everything I was and all my reputation and all my education and all the stuff that I had before Christ, I considered dog poop compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he says this. It's a prayer that he says out loud in front of, his, you know, in front of the Philippian church. He says, oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Because that's life. That's the abundant life that Jesus is talking about. We have to go through the cross. We have to take self and say, okay, you're supposed to be dead, so die. I'm putting you off, and I'm putting on Christ, who is my life. And together, we're going to live this thing. Together. 
And finally, true discipleship involves embracing the truth of our resurrection life in the Spirit. Man, we have been given resurrection life in the Spirit. This is the abundant life that Jesus meant for us to live in. Now, I'm going to make this real practical for you. I would, if I were you and you weren't quite getting this, I would go back to Romans 6 and I would just read it and read it and read it and read it. And then I would jump over into Romans 8 and I would read it and read it and read it and read it because these two chapters basically explain and describe what we need to do to get to the life in the Spirit. Romans 6 uh, verse 11 is the first command that's given in the book of Romans. Did you know that? Five and a half chapters into Romans, after explaining all that Christ has done for us and all that we are in him and how we've, we, he died for us and how we've died with him, then he finally gets to the first command. Therefore, since all of this is true, since Christ died for you and you died with Christ and you died to sin, therefore reckon yourselves dead to sin but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. You say, well, I've, I'm, I sin. I sin sometimes. I sinned yesterday. I sinned this morning. I sinned uh, during church when I was thinking about how stupid Neil sounded or whatever. Yeah. I forgive you. Um, but, but here's the deal. We have to say, I don't care what my experience has been up to now. I agree with the Holy Spirit. I agree with the Word of God. That is the truth, and that is what I'm going with. And I might fall and stumble every day for a while. But if I keep on believing that, if I keep on receiving that, if I keep on declaring that, if I keep on, you know, uh, in, in, in uh, Hebrews 4, I just read it uh, yesterday morning in my devotions. Hebrews 4 says that Israel did not enter into the promised land because of unbelief. And he says, do not fail. Do not fail to go into the rest that God has for us. The rest meaning that we just rest in him and he does his life through us. That's the rest of faith. Do not fail like the Israelites did because of unbelief. Believe the truth of the word of God and enter in. The Holy Spirit, if you believe it, the Holy Spirit will make it real. If you, if you desire it and you keep on, you say, I don't care if I, you know, I just blew, blew it for the fifth time today. But, but the word of God says, I died to sin and I'm alive unto God in Christ Jesus. I'm going with that. Holy Spirit, make it real. By any means, at any cost. <laughs> I'm going to take up my cross and follow him. He, the Holy Spirit will cooperate with your faith, will cooperate with your heart, your desire, your repentance, and he will make it an experiential reality. Let's pray. Oh, God. God, make this real to us. Make this real in us. Make this our life. God, may we leave sin and self and flesh and all that junk behind the world and, and just may we follow you. May we, may we take up our cross, dying to, de to, to uh, self daily and follow you. And Lord, you want to lead us into this abundant life, into this joyful life where we're in intimate fellowship with you, where we know you and we're experiencing your resurrection 
and we're, we're sharing in your sufferings, and that just, that's just precious to us once we enter into this, into this life of, of fullness of your spirit. Suffering with you becomes, as it did for the apostles uh, in, in the book of Acts, it becomes an honor to suffer for you, that we rejoice, that we get the honor and privilege of suffering for you. Man, that, that's, just, that's where I want to live. That no, what, no matter what happens, no matter what this world does to me, I can still rejoice that I have the privilege, the honor of suffering for you and with you. And that we can be conformed to your death, death to sin, self, the law in the world. Hallelujah. Lord, make this real in our lives. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.